walking through the book of Hebrews. We entitle it, Jesus Is, and every week we are taking a look at what the author of this book tells us about Jesus, the role that he plays in your life, who he is uh, to us, who he is um, showing himself to be, and how that changes everything. So this week, we're going to be talking about how Jesus is rest. Now this, oh my, this has so much potential to change everything for you um, that my prayer is that God's Spirit would do uh, a mighty work on our hearts tonight. Uh, here's a little bit of a spoiler alert. Um, Jesus is rest because he is, um, he is God. <laughs> and when we say Jesus is rest, we're talking about how he is not going to just take you to some place that's good, but he himself is the rest. A relationship with him is rest. And so that is what we're working towards. The Greek word uh, kataposis is the word for rest that we're drawing from tonight as the author talks about rest. And that word kataposis, it actually means uh, a couple things. Number one is freedom from work, but also it means a resting place. Jesus is the resting place, and there's freedom in that. I don't know about you, but I need rest all the time. I used to feel guilty for the amount of rest that I felt like I needed, uh, and tonight we're going to be talking about rest in all shapes, forms, and fashions. We're talking about physical rest, emotional rest, uh, mental rest, and spiritual rest. This past week, I was in uh, Hutchinson for our Global Leadership Conference. Uh, it's called the Global Leadership Summit. And so it was this leadership conference that was supposed to help us just become better leaders in whatever segment of uh, this world we're leading in. And, and so we had several folks here from Salina that came with us, many who are in this room. And uh, I'll be honest, as much as I love conferences and stuff like that, like it emotionally and mentally exhausts me. I don't know about you, I'm an introvert, so when I'm around people, it zaps me. I love being around people, but I also hate being around people. That's why I'm a pastor, right? Because I'm, okay, never mind. So, like, I, I was exhausted Wednesday. I was around a bunch of people. Of course, I taught last Wednesday night, and then Thursday was the conference. We stayed overnight in Hutch, and that was fun, but there was no time to get away by yourself, and so I was just exhausted Friday. I was exhausted by the time we left the conference Friday night. Jason and I were driving back here to Salina, and we we weren't even just a couple blocks away from the venue in Hutch, and he said, you know, we could talk on the way home, or we could just not say a word, and I'm okay with either. And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I get it. I get it. And so I knew, like, I knew, man, I'm exhausted. I need a break, and, and tomorrow, Saturday, is going to be that break, and I'm going like, to take just the whole day, just me and, and Tara and Silas, and we're just going to rest. And so Saturday came. Tara had already made some plans for me, said we're going to hang out with some people. I said, I love them, uh, but I ain't hanging out with them. Like, clear the schedule. We ain't doing nothing. We're just going to stay home, and we did, and I got that Sabbath, that, that physical rest that I needed. But by Sunday morning, I came here at 6.30. We're getting things ready, and and I did not want to be around anybody. Like, I got a physical rest Saturday, but you, you, ever, you ever had a physical rest and still not rested? And I knew something was wrong. And it took an hour and a half of me just spending some time praying, just spending some time with Jesus, just, just unloading on him and receiving from him. And before I felt spiritually refreshed. I don't know about y'all, but man, I need 
to be refreshed. And it's not something we have to feel guilty about. It's commanded and it's needed, and God sets the standard for that. So what you're going to find tonight is the author speaking of three types of rest, okay? Three specific types of rest, and you'll see this progression in your own life, even on a daily basis. So the first type of rest is the creation rest. Back in Genesis, God created the world, created everything in six days, and said, boom, it's finished, I'm going to take a break. Y'all should do the same. So that's the command. So this is the creation, this is a physical rest. This is breaking from our work and just resting. And then the second kind uh, happens thousands of years later, around 1500 BC, what we call the promised land rest. Now this is the rest that God said, hey, I'm going to take you all. You were in slavery in Egypt. I'm taking you out of it and we're going to go to the promised land. And so you can imagine for those who were walking to the promised land, they ain't got no home. You know what it's like when you're on the road and you're just like, I just want to be home. I just want to be home. And so you have an emotional and mental fatigue that comes with that. And we know, and we're going to see again tonight, that that generation did not enter the promised land because of their unbelief and their grumbling. But eventually Israel did. And then there's a third kind of rest. So like you can get the physical rest, you can get the emotional, the mental relief, and you know there's still something else missing. And it's that rest that only comes from Jesus. It's that spiritual rest. And I'm going to pray tonight that we receive all of that. We receive all types of rest. And so I want you to ask yourself as you're walking through this, am I taking a physical break? Like, am I taking a Sabbath each week? Now, I know before I even get into I know, y'all, we got different schedules. We have different things going on. Some of you are like, I can't. Uh, I got so much going on. Like, we, listen, I know I get it. But are you taking a rest? And are you... Here's the second one. Are you accepting? Are you receiving? Are you allowing yourself to have that spiritual rest that you can only find in Jesus, in his arms? It's big. I want you to think about that as we walk through this tonight. I think this could be so powerful. So let's just jump on in. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to get through most of this chapter tonight. And some of this stuff, I'll be honest, like if I'm just reading this by myself, I'm like, this is confusing. This is confusing. These are some flyover verses because you're just like, well, I think it said something about rest and whatever. I don't know. Like Because it, it mixes uh, several stories together. And so we've got to walk through it slowly. First three verses say, therefore, if you see a therefore, what do you do? What's it there for? And so it's referring back to uh, some stories that it's going to get back into here again. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest. As it is said, or has, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Okay, first thing we see is that rest is a faith issue. Now let's walk through this so it makes sense because there's all kinds of stuff jumbled together here. So it says, therefore, referring to uh, the previous passage, which we'll we'll cover it, so I'm not going to spend too much time in that. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, so 
Remember, last week we talked about Psalm 95, written around 900 uh, roughly B.C. So promised land stuff, 1500 B.C. Creation, obviously before that. So there was two types of rest that happened. And then David writes this psalm about how uh, they will not enter my rest. It's talking about the promised land rest because they were disobedient. I, I know it sounds confusing right now, but we'll pull it all together. So while that promise of entering his rest still stands, so if this is after the promised land rest, after creation rest, must be talking about another rest. Because we ain't going to the promised land, y'all. <laughs> we don't have the creation rest. Like there's another rest the author's talking about. For still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So we got to find out how do we reach this rest? And we're going to quickly learn it's by faith. And we see that from the next sentence. It says, for good news, gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus. For good news came to us just as to them. So the people in Israel, those, those folks who were going to the promised land had good news. And it was that, hey, there's a promised land. Trust God that he's moving you through the desert, through the wilderness to a place of rest. That was the good news that hit their ears. Our good news is that we have rest in Jesus. We have the spiritual rest. But that message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So some of those folks listened, some did not. Just like we could come here all day long and talk about church stuff, but if you don't have faith, none of this means anything. You can look like you have it together. You can say, hey, I've been doing this my whole life. It doesn't get brownie points with God. He wants you to have an own personal faith. And so the author's saying they did, it didn't even matter because good news is only good if you're following Jesus daily. If you're, if you're actually having faith in what the good news is, if you don't, I mean, it just doesn't mean anything because they were not united by, those, united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So now this is talking about the new rest, not the promised land rest, this new rest. As he has said, and then this is again quoting Psalm 95 again. I know it bounces back and forth. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, Israelites who did not believe and trust God. And this author is warning us that we still have to have faith. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So now we're going all the way back to the creation rest. He's showing this whole progression again. And here's the bottom line. The author's saying, listen, it's always been about faith. You want rest? It's always been about faith. It's a faith issue. Now, here's the deal. For a lot of us, it's not that we don't have faith. It's that we have misplaced faith. It's that we trust ourselves uh, and our own deeds and our own abilities and our own good works instead of God and what he has done for us. So it's not always that we don't have faith in him as much as we just have too much faith in ourselves. And so I think for a lot of us, We've got to realize, for all of us, we've got to realize that there is rest available right now. Some of you don't feel it because things are, are rough right now. And you feel like, man, God can't love me right now. Like, I, I know God is giving other people rest, but for some reason right now, I just can't find it through the thickness of the drama, the crazy circumstances. I can't find the rest, and I don't see. I don't see it coming anytime soon, but it's available to everybody right now. The author's saying, listen, y'all got the same opportunity they had, but we got a better message. We got a better promise, but we still access that rest by faith. And we've got to realize it's available today. Like, there's no excuses that we can't get it today. 
So i got to ask you, if this is our current reality, what's stopping you from experiencing the spiritual rest in Jesus? Because some of you, you come in here, just like I, I know because I've felt it myself. You, we come in and we say, listen, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I, all this stuff, I, yeah, some of it's weird, but I, in general, I believe it, and I'm still feeling some turmoil inside. So what do I got to do if I'm still feeling turmoil, but I have faith in Jesus? That's a, that's a bad place to be, right? And so I think for a lot of us, it's not, it's not that we don't believe there's rest in Jesus. We just don't know how to access it. And what happens so often is that we view spiritual rest and receiving it in the same way that we view physical rest and receiving it. If I said, hey, you all need to rest physically, take a day off, what do you do? You go and you jump on the couch and you just lounge, right? Like you, like you, just, you just sink into that big lazy boy chair. Like we just, we just do, and don't get me wrong, there's times where spiritually you got to do that with Jesus. You just got to sink into his arms. You just got to lay it out and say, listen, here's what's been going on in my world. I'm going to just throw, I'm just going to puke it on up on you, Jesus. And I know you know it, but I'm just giving it to you. But the way that we really, if you want life change, the way that we really receive the spiritual rest in Jesus is not going to him just in the big stuff where we just collapse into his arms. It's seeing everyday events, turmoil, junk through the lens of the redemption we have in Jesus. It's taking gospel lens and what Jesus did 2,000 years ago with a perfect life, sacrificial death, and life-breathing resurrection, how that actually applies to the mundane little stuff that happens every day. Because if most of us were honest, it's not that we have some big, huge, crazy thing that caused turmoil today that is making us want rest. It's little stuff that builds up. It's little stuff that builds up. So how do you connect the two? How do you get that spiritual rest? I'm going I'm to walk you through this because the irony of rest in, in our lives is that there's actually work involved in our rest. <laughs> it's not our own work. It's trusting in work that's already been done for us. So we got to somehow see our own junk in light of work that's already been done for us if we want rest. Does that make sense? So let's walk through something. I'm going to give you a silly example because if you can see Jesus in the silly, you're going to be able to see Jesus in the serious. If you can see him in the stuff that seems a little goofy, you're probably one step closer to seeing him in the stuff that is just overwhelmingly obvious in your life. So let's walk through something here. Last week, I, um, I again, was at that conference, and a few of us were going to go and eat lunch. We went to one of those burrito places in Hutch that, you know, you go in and there's a bunch of people behind the counter. It's like the subway of burrito places, you know, and you just get all your stuff and whatnot. Well, this place was packed, and we were standing outside, you know, just chatting, and we were walking uh, through this big old maze. It's like the bank line maze, except there's actually people in it. So you're really waiting a long time. And so I was looking at all the stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm so hungry, and I'm ready to get it. And it's like, oh, free queso and guac with entrees. And you're like, oh, I love queso. I don't have to pay for it. This is all. Like, you know, and you're just getting excited because you know what's coming. And and I, we've, we've had to cut back lately financially, and so we haven't eaten out as much. And so now, like, you really want it because you're like, man, this is a treat now, right? And so uh, me and Jason were walking through this line, and we're getting close to the, the beginning of it, uh, of ordering our food. 
And the first gal says, what do you want? And I said, okay, I'll just have this kind of tortilla and a burrito and whatnot. And then you got five others that are going to pack it full of stuff. But I hate spicy. Like, I don't do spicy at all. I mean, I, I, I'm a little baby. Like, Silas sees me eat spicy stuff and he says, you're, you're sissy. Like, he just, he, he knows, like, I just can't handle spicy. And, and so I'm there and I say, listen, um, rice, uh, just whatever's not spicy. So she throws some not spicy stuff on my, and then I got a bunch of rice. And then she, she says, beans, what do you want? Now, I don't want beans at all, but I feel weird declining anything. Like there's this weird obligation publicly when you're getting a big burrito. You're like, I kind of have to have everything. It's not like a real burrito. But I don't want beans at all. But I just tell her, I said, I, I uh, just, what's the least spicy? And then she said, pointed to this. And I thought, okay, um, uh, let's go halvesies on, on that. And I even look at Jason and give him a little smirk. Like, mm, yeah, how do you like that? I'm ordering halvesies on the rice. I'm thinking I'm being cutesy, right, or on the beans. And so uh, I don't want beans, but I'm saying I'll just take a little bit. Well, she misinterprets Havesies, apparently Havesies, it means different things to different peoples. And she, she gives me double what she was going to give me. She gave me half of each kind of bean. And I was like, I just told you I didn't want the spicy stuff. But somehow now I've got, instead of half my normal beans, I've got double the beans. And it's just a big old bean and rice burrito. <laughs> and, and me and Jason, we were silent because Jason's like, uh-oh, it just happened. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, we just waited in line and now i got a bean burrito. <laughs> I don't want a bean burrito. And so I'm disappointed. And you know that moment where you're just like, I just want to walk away. Like, that would send a message, wouldn't it? Just walk away. But I can't. I'm a church conference for leadership. I can't just walk away from my bean burrito. So I get the burrito, and I go, and I sit down, and I'm just munching, and I'm talking to the guys that are there, and it's fun. And, and they're eating. They're like, yum, yum, yum. We love our burritos. And, and I'm just like, man, I hate my burrito. And I'm halfway through this thing, and I don't want this burrito at all. And I'm hungry, and I'm angry, and I'm throwing a fit inside because I don't want this stinking burrito anymore. And, and so I don't know what to do with the burrito because everyone else is done eating, and I'm still hungry, but now I've got to, like, make up excuses as to why I'm not eating the burrito. And, and what do you do? And so I end up taking the burrito. I didn't want to throw it away because it was paid for by someone else. So now like it was a free burrito that I don't really like. It didn't come out the way I wanted. So now I take this burrito and I go uh, and I, I put it in our, in, in the car that I was driving. I put it in the back seat. Stayed there for like two days. So like this stinking burrito really was a stinking burrito. But I didn't know what to do with it because you can't throw away the burrito you don't want, right? Okay. Some of you have been there. Now for some of you that would have ruined like most of your day. Others, you've been like, you know what, not a big deal at all. But honestly, for most of us, it probably causes a little bit of turmoil. If nothing else, you get ticked off inside. And I thought to myself, what does the gospel have to do with any of this? Like, how does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection change any of this? But I know uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, I know that I don't need to have turmoil over a bean burrito. And so let's, let's look at this a little closer. And so there were three things that I knew. And I, I, so you got to do some self-analyzing, some self-awareness stuff. And, and I thought to myself, what am I most upset about? Like, what, what's ticking me off? And the first thing was just unforgiveness and wrath on the burrito lady. <laughs> because let's be honest, if you were in that position, you would think, I'm not paying for this burrito. You think, you know what, you should have made them get you a new burrito. And deep down, you want to throw a fit right there. And I thought, yeah, like she, know, she needs to know that she screwed up, right? 
I thought, how does Jesus have anything to do with that? And then I'm reminded, man, the gospel is that I need forgiveness, even though I don't deserve it, and he freely gives it to me. The gospel is that I, in debt to God, (laughs) unworthy of God, I'm given mercy every day. I'm given grace every day, and so extend that to her. The gospel is that although I want to pour out wrath on her right now, I didn't even take my own wrath. Jesus took it for me. I'm living under his sacrifice. So who am I to pour out wrath on this poor gal? And then I live in that. I say, yeah, that's true. So that turmoil goes away. But I'm still feeling a little bit of turmoil. Why? Because it was then when I sat down with my friends, I felt embarrassed because now I've got to make up excuses for why I'm not eating this big stinking burrito. And so what does the gospel have to do with that? The gospel is that these men, they, they love Jesus, and, and, and so they're not going to judge me. But even if they didn't love Jesus, even if they were non-believers and they did judge me, that the gospel says I get a new identity in Jesus, that he died so that I can be a new person based on who he says I am, not on what the others around me. So I don't have to live as a slave to the opinions of others. So although that was a silly thing, I don't need to be embarrassed. Okay, that turmoil goes away a little bit. But even then, as I'm walking out there throwing a dirty old burrito in the back of my car, I still feel shame, right? Because you're like, now I just feel stupid. What a goofball I am. And we know there's no shame in Christ. The gospel even changes that little feeling you have walking out to your car saying, what do I do with a dirty old burrito? And that he took condemnation on himself and that in him there is no condemnation. That I don't have to feel shame. Like I don't have to feel judgment. There's no judgment for this. He took the judgment on himself. And before you know it, as I think about these things, as crazy as it sounds, as unrelatable as it sounds, I start to feel relief and I start to find rest. Does that make sense to anybody? Now, if that's happening in the silly stuff at life, what in your life right now, what is causing you turmoil right now that the gospel hasn't already won that battle? You look at the things that are making you feel sick to your stomach today and test them in light of the gospel and say, how does the gospel speak into this? You're going to find a rest that this world does not know. If we simply look through gospel lens, that means we have to know what the gospel is, the implications of it, and it is deep and wide. You're not going to reach the end. You're not going to say, I have a grasp on it. But it covers everything you're struggling with. Changes things. Verses 4 through 6. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we're talking Genesis now. Creation rest. And again in this passage, he says... So this is now not creation rest. This is going back to Psalm 95, which is referencing the promised land rest. They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. So now it's talking about the future rest, the one that we have in Jesus right now. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. It sounds like he's about to say some more about that, but he doesn't. It's worded interestingly. But what do we see here? Rest reflects the gospel. Rest reflects the good news of Jesus. You see, the author once again links creation rest, that something is finished, God rested, with the promised land rest. Okay? 
The author links these, and it's crucial. It's important. Why? Because in Genesis, when God finished work, finished work, he said, I'm going to rest. So there's an obvious beginning and middle and end, and then he rested. And so not only that, but then the Israelites going into the promised land, this generation again didn't see it because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith and trusting God along the way, shows that it requires faith to get the rest. So rest comes when work is finished and it comes by faith. So this is crucial because it reflects the gospel. It reflects the fact that Jesus finished work 2,000 years ago, and we can rest in that, but we still walk daily in faith, trusting that every step of the way. I know that sounds simple, but when you let that sink in, it changes things. So what does it mean when we don't rest? I think you have to ask yourself that question. could mean that we're not walking by faith. It could mean that we don't believe the work is finished. And if we looked at our hearts, we would find probably both of those are true often. You see, we often don't want to rest physically because we don't think that things around us can continue without us in it. We don't want to rest because we have a problem trusting that God is going to provide if we're not working our tails off. You see, this physical rest, spiritual rest, like it's all intertwined. Because if you take one of them serious, you probably take the other serious. And if you disregard one, you probably are misunderstanding the other. They go hand in hand. As a church planner, I used to pride myself on being there every Sunday. Matter of fact, when we started this Six years ago now, and we met on Saturday nights that first year, I remember we, we never missed a Saturday night. And I remember I, I, I had pride in that, that like somehow I was there every, like I was committed, I was part of it. And, and in America, we'd say, wow, man, hard work, that's noble, like just work your tail off, that's what it's all about. So being there every week, that was something to be proud, proud about. Go out and plant some churches, Utah, Nebraska, same sort of deal. Man, I hated being gone. Part of it was I just loved my family. I loved being around the church. I loved to serve the church. But I also deep down thought, man, they're going to struggle if I'm not around. So then I come back to Crosspoint, and now we've got a whole new standard operating procedures. And they say, hey, every seven to eight weeks, you've got to be gone. You've got to take your family somewhere. Like you, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Like You've got to go somewhere. Go worship with someone else. And at first, I'm like, this is a great idea. But then a couple months in, I'm thinking, oh, it's my time to take a break. All leadership, all, all paid staff required to take a break every couple months. That's a little overkill. And I really struggled in my soul. 
Like that, I'm not around. Well, I haven't built credibility yet with the congregation, so do I really need to be gone? Like, I mean, I need to be here. I need to be. And the truth is, like, I thought, hey, even though I've only been here a couple months, they're going to struggle without me. And you want to know what happened was not being around, taking that break, gave me a chance to focus not on my work or what wasn't getting done, but on the work that has already been done for me. And it helped me to realize and trust in the fact that this is Jesus' church and everything's going to go okay if I'm not around, that he doesn't need me. He chooses to use me. And so by resting, I actually saw how amazing his work is. And there's a freedom in that because I found myself and all these unhealthy motivations, I found them exposed and submitted to the cross. Some of you, you don't take breaks at home, not because you can't, but because your kids are going to struggle if you somehow take a couple minutes to yourself. They're going to be okay. Jesus made them. You can help sustain them for two minutes while you get a drink of water. Some of us, we we can't stay away from work because we think everything hinges on us. And it's got got a misunderstanding because if you don't take breaks, if you don't take breaks physically, you're probably not taking breaks spiritually. Like they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And as I said, in this country, we think it's so noble to be non-stop working, but God sees it as faithless and disobedient. That's a whole different ballgame than how we view it. It's a whole different ballgame. And a couple reasons that we don't stop is because, number one, you and I struggle with recognizing when work is finished. We struggle with it. Some of us, we struggle with our current job right now because we see life as, like we see, man, why even take a break uh, a little bit each week because it just seems like life runs together. It's just this continuous stream of working and you maybe don't like your job. You just get frustrated with it and it just seems like you can take a break for a minute but it doesn't really do anything. You're just gonna go back to work the next day and then boom, like this is your life forever and it seems hopeless, doesn't it? You're just like, man, my only hope is retirement. And then on the other side, you'll see now where the faith and trust comes in. The other side, the pendulum swings. Some of us, we live for the weekend. And we can't stand even going to work each day because we think, how in the world can this job, this, this job, some of you know what kind of job that is, the kind of job you show up to and like two weeks into it, someone wants to tell you like, hey, you know what? We had trained a monkey to do your job, but he died last week. That's why we hired you. Like that's how easy and simple and brainless it is to do your job. But like here you are, like you know what it's like to work that kind of job, right? you're just like, I don't see any purpose here. I'm not using much skill. I just don't feel like I'm making an impact. And so you're just living for the weekend. And so what the gospel does is it does two very important things for us when we view work in all of life. It says, number one, the gospel, the the life, death, and resurrection shows us that there is finished work. And, And so by taking a break, it resets and recenters our minds, which is crucial to not be overwhelmed in the long term. It's crucial, and not only that, but it helps you to have value and purpose in whatever you're doing. The gospel says, listen, this paycheck, it's got McDonald's in the corner. It's got some, one of these factories around. It's got something in the corner. Listen, God's the one writing that paycheck. And so this is not your life, but it's not without purpose. The purpose of your work is that this is your mission field, that you go into it now with a new life, and it's not your life, but you're bringing life and breathing life into other people through the spirit that's working inside of you. 
And that regardless of how much skill you're using at this job, you don't have to feel like it's pointless because God says that is your mission field. So the gospel gives both a beginning and an end and says it's finished. You can reset your mind. And the gospel also then says your work has purpose and it's valuable if you're intentional about it. I can tell this is groundbreaking stuff for you guys. But if we apply it, it changes everything. It changes everything. It reflects the gospel. Let's move on here. Hebrews 4, verses 7 through 10 says, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying, Through David, so long afterward, in his words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I told you, some of this is just kind of hard to understand. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Here we see the proof of rest. So here the author is saying, okay, so again, that promised land rest, so 1500 BC, when it says you're not going to enter it because of unbelief, and God says that, he is saying that 600 years later to David. So why would David talk about a rest 600 years after the promised land rest unless there was another rest? We have that rest. And the key phrase here, the key word here at the end in verse 10, it says, for whoever has entered God's rest, that's the future rest, that's the rest that we have, has also rested from his works as God did from his. So here is where we see uh, that third point, that the proof of the spiritual rest is that we as believers choose to take a physical rest. Now, it's not a guarantee. There's people who take a, a Sabbath each week and do it for the wrong motivations, the wrong reasons. But God says those who get it, like they, they get it, that there's a spiritual rest in Jesus also choose to take that physical rest as well. They're free to do so. They're free to do it. But it's so tempting for you and I, it's so tempting to see the world going in a million different directions and showing us how to do it, showing us how to work hard and to wait for that rest, that retirement rest. And it's so tempting for us just to go in the direction of everybody else. A couple of years ago, I was having lunch with Tara. She was working at a hospital in Utah. I'd often have lunch with her. And one day we were sitting down, and there's a bunch of people around us, but we were eating some fish. She was eating fish, and I was watching her. And I said uh, at one point when she asked it why I wasn't eating the fish, I said, without even blinking, I, I said, I don't ever eat fish that I don't personally catch. And I continued to eat my food, and she stopped and just stared at me, and she said, I've known you for seven years, and you eat fish like every week, but you have never in seven years been fishing. And so I looked at her, and I thought, wow, that's right. That's right. But in that moment, I actually believed, because what was happening was I was going home each night watching Discovery Channel. I actually believed that I was a mountain man who only ate the fish that he catches. I thought that I was Bear Grylls, but I was not Bear Grylls. And, and for you and I, so often we see everybody running in the same direction. We see everyone working hard trying to get to retirement, trying to get to that promised land rest, and we don't stop to think maybe 
they've got it wrong. Maybe they've got it wrong. We've sold ourselves in this country. We've sold ourselves. I love living in America, but we have a culture that sells us a promised land mentality that if you just keep working, if you just go to college, if you get the best career you possibly can, and you just work, 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 and save up for retirement, that you're going to get some wonderful heavenly rest. And sometimes we get to the end of life to find out it's just not true. But we do this. I don't know about in your household, uh, if you have pizza wars like we do in, in mine. When Tara and I, we want to watch a movie or something, uh, we always like to get a pizza if we can. And so then you start the long conversation about where are you going to get pizza from. And of course, there's like 10 different places. Uh, there's some places downtown that cost a little bit more, but you get this experience of sitting there and having the ambiance and all that fun stuff. That's fun. That's great. Then there's the cheap stuff that you know, like, boy, your gut is going to hate you in the morning, but it's really cheap. And then there's a bunch in between. Now, there's several that I would go with, but there's one in particular that my wife loves, and I don't know where she picked this up at, but somewhere in her life, she realized that this was the pizza that she wanted above all other pizza. Now, here's the thing about this place. I'm not going to name names, but this place has convinced us that part of the fun is us working hard for the pizza. Here's what they've done. They've convinced us that we should buy an uncooked pizza and actually go home and cook the pizza. <laughs> now, here's the thing. That's why I want to eat out. That's why we don't have homemade pizza, but we go buy pizza from somewhere else. And yet they've convinced us that that is the best thing. Now, I know love, some of you love that kind of pizza. My wife loves that kind of pizza. But to me, that's, that's silly. That's silly, but that's what we do with rest. We see that we have been deceived that if you just keep working, if you just keep working, guys, this doesn't have anything to do, again, with work ethic. We're called to work hard, but there's a rest we are missing out on, and some of us are walking blindly 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. The author of Hebrews is saying, those who take a physical break, a rest, that's because, it's not a guarantee, but that's because they have a spiritual rest that says you are free to take a break. Do you take a physical rest? Do you, and why do you? What are your motivations? Is it just because you've always done it? Is it just because you know we're commanded in Scripture to do it? Or is it because you actually have freedom inside that says, yeah, the world is not dependent on me? Like it's going to keep on turning if I take a break. I've got something in Jesus that says, hey, it's okay to take a physical rest. Jesus gives you that freedom. You see, there are so intertwined spiritual and physical rest because the way you view one of them, you usually view the other. If you make one a priority, you usually make the other a priority as well. What does your rest or lack of rest reflect? And last but not least, we see in verses 11 through 13, that's where we'll close up today. It brings the word of God into the mix now. It says, 
Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The last thing we see here, number four, is that faith comes from the word. Faith comes from the word. So the way that we enter, it says that we should strive to enter that rest, that no one would fall by the same sort of disobedience. The way that we enter this rest in Jesus is by faith in his work. But what does scripture tell us about faith? How does faith come about? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. So the word of God has to be read, it has to be preached, and and so we get more faith when we are in the word of God. Tonight, hopefully, your faith is strengthened, your faith is built up. Why? Not because I'm saying great things, but because you are hearing the word of God. And so we got to be immersed in the Word of God. It says that it is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. What this author is saying is that what David said 900 years before him is still good for today. It's God's voice. It's not just an old document. It's God's voice today. Right now we have the same opportunity. And for some of us, we, we see the Word of God. We see the Bible as this old document that is a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. And so for us, it just means, man, if I get into the Word, it's going to mean i got to change things and, and that it's more work for me. But for those who have really tasted the freedom of Christ, you know that digging into the Word of God is actually freeing. Digging into the Word of God is rest because we see the good news. We don't just see do's and don'ts. We see a Jesus that sets us free. And when we immerse ourselves in Him and His Word, it sets us free doesn't mean it's easy. doesn't mean that things aren't going to change. No, that's the blessing, that things are going to change. It says that the Word of God divides even to soul and spirit. Some have used this to say that that's uh, meaning that there are uh, souls inside of us and spirits inside of us. But what it's actually trying to say is not that those are two separate things, but that is how the Word of God is such a fine, thin, razored edge blade that it divides the same thing into two. Man, it cuts to our hearts. It's not always fun digging into the Word of God, but we got to because it's going to tell us where we are flawed. It's going to tell us our motivations. It's going to say, hey, listen, I know you've been going to church your whole life and you've been taking Sabbaths because you thought you should do it. Like It's going to take and find out what your motivations, it says your motivations, your intents in your heart, what is happening deep down inside the Word of God is going to reveal that and it's going to make us naked and exposed before God. And the blessing is that the Word of God doesn't just expose us, the Word of God heals us. That God's Spirit does something amazing when God's people read it and obey and walk by faith. Walk by faith. Are you experiencing rest? Are you experiencing rest? I'm telling you what, the grace of God gives us a rest that is so much better than this world gives or offers or even knows about. 
I'm telling you, this is a game changer tonight. I don't know what God's saying to you or what step of faith you need to take, but I'm telling you that this rest is so beautiful that if we would look at every piece of turmoil, every feeling, every emotion, whatever's going on in our lives that's causing unrest, if we're able to see the finished work of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and we're able to see whatever we're going through through those lenses, you have a rest that's better than a promised land rest. You have a rest that makes a creation, Sabbath rest, that much more valuable. You have a rest that is freeing. It's a spiritual rest, and it's only found in Jesus. Let's pray.